This is First Contact, stories of the call center. Brought to you by Noble Biz, your one-stop shop for all your contact center needs, both carrier and software. Each show, we talk to industry leaders on how they got their start in the call center industry, because let's be honest, it's not a dream job. Find all our episodes, you can go to our website, that's www.nobelbiz.com. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, or follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for future episodes. So, hey everyone, thanks for joining. Super excited about today, actually. Uh, We hit double digits in the uh, podcast. It's real exciting to have our guests today. So we have a renowned customer service and experience expert, Shep Hyken. Shep, I don't even know where to start. Uh, Honestly, let's start picking out all the stuff that you have because you got your TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home, which actually is a lot of fun. It's pretty funny. You got some great guests on there. And if you run a business, have a business, thinking about running a business, you have to look at this. You have to watch it. You're also, okay, let me get this right. Chief Amazement Officer. There's definitely a story there. Uh, there uh, might at your be, own company, yeah. Shepherd Presentations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and obviously, we see all the different names. So I'm looking forward to that one, especially. But you know, you're you're looking to build loyal relationships with customers and their employees, which is huge. Uh, obviously, here's the other part. If you knew how to read, then you'd know that he has a lot of books. And those books uh, not only are Moments of Magic, The Loyal Customer, The Cult of the Customer, The Amazement Revolution, Amaze Every Customer Every Time, and The Convenience Revolution. Now, of course, you're also a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Of course. Of course, course. right? We had to add at at, at the end. It's like, you know what? We have this space missing. We need to fill that in. And obviously, last but not least, but you're the creator of the Customer Focus, a customer service training program unlike anything we've ever seen. So obviously, let me take a breath. I think I need my little cup of water after that. That's only just the tip of the iceberg. But we're so excited to have you on the show, Shep. Thanks for coming by. Super excited. Well, thanks for having me. Great to be here. And uh, I love uh, you're spending time out there on the French Riviera, it looks like. I try, you know, uh, every day I live vicariously through my backgrounds, but, uh, you know, I'll make sure that I switch it up a little bit next time we talk. You know, where you're vacationing next. (laughs) Where in the world is Christian going? Uh, So, look, I, I, I find it really exciting on this show to really understand people's story. Uh, what they're doing is great, and we definitely want to get there, but we want to understand their background. What is it that you went through in life that got you to where you're at today? Now, obviously, you are high energy, and anybody who says you're not, then they've had way too much coffee because you you really know how to throw in excitement, humor, a little bit of magic. So when we talk about that, you know, why customer experience? Why customer service? What got you there? Sure, and you know what? I'm going to... I think all of those questions, like how did I get started? You know, how did I get into customer service? It all started when I was 12. Um, I uh, had my first business at age 12, birthday party magic show business. I would go out and perform for money at kids' birthday parties. My parents would drop me off. So the first one I ever did was a Wednesday afternoon after school. My mom picks me up, takes me over to this house. I entertain the kids for about an hour, come back out, get in the car, go home, dinner time, mom, dad, brother, sister, 
and, and all sitting around. And mom says, what are you doing after dinner? Now it's a school night. And I don't know where you're from, but if your parent says, what are you doing after dinner on a school night? The correct answer is normally what? Going to bed. <laughs> going to bed. How about homework? You <laughs> well, got to do your you, homework. I, I do that before I eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got to earn my anyway. <laughs> I thought the correct answer was I'm going to go do my homework, you know, but I already, you know, be after school, I did my magic show. Now it's dinner time. So I still got to do the homework. And my mom says, not until you write a thank you note. And I went, oh, great idea. So that was my first lesson in customer service, show appreciation to customers. My dad decides to chime in, always trying to one-up my mom, says, great idea, let's take it to the next level. Next week, after they receive the note, call the parents, thank them again. And I said, that's a great idea. He goes, no, 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 that's just part of it. Ask them, how did you like the show? And they'll tell you, we liked it, we didn't like it, we thought it was good. But then get specific. What tricks did you like the best? Oh, another great idea. And then he said, if you ask enough people what tricks they like the best, they'll tell you all the tricks they love, and you'll start to see a pattern of tricks they talk about. You'll also see what tricks they don't talk about. Get rid of those tricks so that you replace them with tricks they will talk about. I did not realize that's getting feedback, acting on the feedback, creating a process improvement, if you will, or a better magic show. And really, those are the tenets of great customer service. I can't think of any of the companies that I do business with that don't want to express appreciation, get feedback from their customers, ideally use that feedback to make a better experience happen. And that's what happens today in the largest companies. And that was what was happening in my 12-year-old magic show business. And I progressed at the age of 14. I worked in my first nightclub at age 16. I was doing comedy and magic at the Playboy Clubs, which is an unbelievable job for a 16-year-old young man. I, I remember one of the tricks I did when I was 12 or 13, I met this other magician. He was going to college. And he said, Shep, if you want, um, will you watch my rabbit for me? Because he, he pulled the rabbit out of the hat at the end of the show. I said, sure. And I always remember the bunny that I was hanging out with when I was 12 and the bunnies I was hanging out with when I was 16 and 17. Totally different experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, My, how the rabbits have changed. Yes, my, my, how they have. And then, you know, of course, went to college, continued to work in nightclubs and hotels now. I also had regular jobs. I worked on a towboat one summer. That was manual, physical labor. That was very hard. I worked in retail. Um, I did my magic. Even though I was in restaurants and nightclubs doing my magic, I always felt my goal is to make sure the guest is having an amazing experience, not just with my show. If I could spot a guest was being neglected by a server or a busser who wasn't cleaning the table, I would actually go over and pick up dirty dishes off the table just to support my team and to make sure that guest had a better experience. Those are the kinds of things I was thinking about. Maybe it's because the way my parents raised me, I don't know, but that led to uh, where I am today. Um, got out of college, didn't know what I was going to do and decided after seeing a couple of motivational speakers, well, I can do that. And I realized what I love to talk about or what I didn't realize I love to talk about at the time, but what I loved about business more than anything was just taking care of customers. And so I went to the bookstore and I bought every customer service book that was on the book rack. And so there were like five of them. And that's where <laughs> it all started. Say, I was gonna say, there probably wasn't a ton of them, but I mean, 
that's amazing to see at such a young age have such wisdom and insight into well, the thank mind you. of people, right? And and to be able to see that come through. But obviously you can see in some of the early feedback and insight that you got from your father and your mother, I can't imagine them not being a pillar either subconsciously or even just upfront in your daily actions of understanding that customer service done right meant success for you and the things that you enjoyed doing. Right. Which now, it's it's funny. Mind. My mom for like I remember it took like three or four years. Now I realize uh, their videotape was very expensive back then. Today, I mean, we go on a webcam. We could you would spend more than a thousand dollars a minute to create a video. And I remember shooting my first video demo about my speech, and my mom came to it. And before that, my mom would you know like, what does your son do for a living? I don't know, but he never asks me for money. <laughs> That's, that was her standard answer. And then she's an awesome answer. <laughs> it's a great answer. She and by the way, I don't know if I've ever shared that with anybody before. I, when I did the video, that I remember it was a few years into my career, I could finally afford to to buy a demo video. She goes, "Now I know what you do for a living. You're pretty good." <laughs> I go, "Thank you very much." It's my mother. You're you don't know how good. long I've waited to hear that. <laughs> my whole life, I'm looking for validation. No. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny is, is because my mom, like, was very conflicted with, you know, she knew I did the magic and she was worried that what's he going to do with his life? He always, he's doing mm -hmm. these magic shows. Well, hey, I'm in, I'm in uh, not grade school, high school, 14, 15 years old. I'm making as much money as my teachers are making. It wasn't about money, though. She insisted that I have real summer jobs. So I worked at a gas station. I worked at a convenience store. I worked in an office building doing like accounting and they're, you know, like an intern kind of a job. Um, you know, I did maintenance. I, 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 that summer on the towboat was 30 days of pure, I'll say it, pure hell. Uh, 30, 30 days where you did six hours on, six hours off, six on, six off for 30 straight days, 12 hour shifts, you know, broken up and you got to eat really good food. But I remember the port captain, when he got on, he goes, you're young. Yeah. He goes, don't talk to anybody, but the captain and the cook don't talk to anybody. And it turned out I was the only one without a prison record other than the captain on. And, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's like the guy was trying to protect me. One of the guys had actually been, I guess, I don't know, manslaughter, murder. I don't know what it was, but they, I never talked to anybody for 30 days other than the captain and the cook on the, and I don't, it's just totally off the subject, but on the very last day, it was locust season, you know, every seven years. Oh, wow. yeah. Right. So the, the very last day, the guys who I didn't talk to the entire time, I just kept my head down and did my job. They came in with a bucket of locusts and they poured it on me. Of course. And they said, and, and, but it was out of, uh, it was out of, I was the nerdy kid that wouldn't talk to anybody, but they liked me in spite of that. And that was their way of showing me love and affection. Oh, <laughs> well, I, nothing like a good hazing, right? No, know, exactly. Well, you know, so, um, there you go. That's my story. Well, I'll tell you right now that that end piece had to have built some character because the idea of being a good listener had to have come in handy. So I'm sure you heard some crazy yeah, stuff. Don't talk, stories. just listen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> very so, good. Uh, very humbling experience. And I mean, look, now you've pivoted over the years. You're talking to uh, major brands working with major companies, just to name a few, American Airlines, AT&T, Aetna, American Express. And I'm just at the A's, right? So you get to that point in your career where you're being able to influence 
the customer experience and customer service. When you get to that point though, how is it that it evolved to that point? You know, do you have a story behind your first big win or the first? Oh man, I, I gotta tell you, my um when I started my business, um, I'll go back to the very beginning. Tom Hopkins, who's a sales trainer, um, just one of the very best speakers in the world, coupled with another great speaker, the probably the foremost motivational speech speaker in the world at the time and just in, in the history, Zig Ziglar, you know. Mm-hmm. Those are the two guys that I saw that that night. My mom said, you know, uh, you're not sure what you're going to do. This looks like something you might enjoy. Get motivated, right? And so I saw those guys. And the very next day, I said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a speaker. Entertainment background, had jobs, went to college, graduated. And then I went uh, to the bookstore, bought the books. I went to the newsstand, and I bought magazines, all the magazines that were business magazines, I pulled out all the full page ads and I just called, there was no internet back then. You had to go to the library and do research. And I created a list of 100 companies to call on. Some were local where I live in St. Louis, Missouri. And by the way, back then we had Anheuser-Busch, Ralston, mm-hmm. Purina, Monsanto, uh, Boeing, uh, which was McDonnell Douglas back then. So I would call on these companies as well as I called on General Motors. I called on uh, Pitney Bowes. I, all these full-page ads. And I landed like three clients pretty quickly. Uh, by the way, it wasn't for just getting lucky. I mean, I smiled and I dialed. And I remember calling the guy at General Motors. I called him every week for like 11 or 12 weeks. I read a book called uh, What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School. This This book had an idea. So I called the guy at General Motors. All I could do is talk to his secretary the whole time. I mm-hmm. said, hey, I'm going to be in your area or I could be in your area next Thursday at two o'clock. Is there any way I could meet with Mr. Rice? Al Rice was his name. And she said, well, I'll do it. Let's do it. 20 minutes. I took all the money I had and I bought an airline ticket. I flew to Detroit. I rented a car. I went in and saw this guy and he was very nice to me. And he said, why should I hire you? And I thought, you know, I've put together a great presentation. And then I said, you know, I've gone through a lot of effort to get here today. As a matter of fact, I need to leave shortly. I was told I only had 20 minutes. I've got to catch my flight. He goes, where do you live? I said, St. Louis, Missouri. He goes, you flew here just to meet with me for 15 minutes? I said, sir, I've been calling you every week for the last two months. This was the only way I was going to get to talk to you. I know you hire what I do, and I want to work for you. And he said, great. I had three bookings that uh, like three months later, he booked me for three dates in, in L.A. in January. That was 1984, okay? In 1985, he booked me for 40 dates. Wow. 40. 1986, 87, 88, 40 to 50 dates all because I took that shot. The other two clients were Enterprise Rent-A-Car, perhaps you've heard of them, and Anheuser-Busch, <laughs> uh, another great company. Um, and so uh, ironically, uh, uh, last year, I'm still working for Anheuser-Busch <laughs> and Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I'm still friendly with the executives that hired me. Most of them have retired, but there's some other people that still work there that we occasionally talk about doing more business together. Um, so those are my first three big clients. And I know that that's a long-winded story to get into the history of Shep, but that's where it all started. And and over a period of time, I was a motivational speaker on customer service 
with uh, the entertaining style, which was the magic that went in there. I talked about this idea, the moment of magic versus the moment of misery that you might have with the experience. And then the moment of mediocrity, which is just average or okay. And I really, over those first 10 years or so, built up a great clientele doing that speech again and again and again. And uh, about uh, six, seven years into the career, I wrote my first book, Moments of Magic. And really, that just kind of all started. And the uh, what I learned uh, over time is I became less and less. I was always, I'm still an entertaining speaker. Don't get me wrong. High energy, entertaining. I make people laugh. If I'm not making people laugh, don't pay me, okay? But I learned uh, to put more content and not rely upon the entertainment as much. And so now I'm that speaker that can be entertaining, but is really... Um, for the last probably close to 20 years, really been just more about I'm that customer service, customer experience guy. Was that more self-awareness or did you have a feedback mechanism that showed you that was something you needed? Yeah, I quickly realized the entertainer gets paid less than the speaker and the speaker who has more content gets paid more than the kind of fluffy or motivational speaker. And I mean, I worked hard. I still, even today, uh, you can't really see it, but I've got a half a dozen books over here. I've got a stack of books on the floor. I'm constantly reading. I probably read about oh, 30 to 40 books a year. I read a half a dozen, 10, sometimes more articles every single day. And uh, that's what is, is great. Plus, I work with all these companies that force me to learn their methods and in order for me to be able to do an effective presentation for them. So the research is unbelievable. Um, and that's that's really where, you know, where that uh, thought leadership, if you want to call it, that comes from. It comes from uh, learning and reading and interpreting what everybody else is reading and writing and doing. Well, it sounds like you have to step up your game in the reading department. I'm not sure you're doing enough. I need, you know, <laughs> I was at one point about when I, you know, and I, this year is a weird year because I haven't been traveling. But when I travel, I go through a book in one week. If I love the book, I take deeper dives. It might take me two weeks or three weeks to get through that book because I line it and highlight it and mm-hmm. you know everything else. If it's just a good book, I can get through that in a few hours, and that's a plane trip there, maybe back. And so I kind of miss the international travel. You know, <laughs> everybody's out there watching movies, and I'm sitting there reading these great books, and I occasionally watch a movie. So well, going out, I work. Coming back, I relax. <laughs> As long as you, you had a, a good time and it was uh, time well spent, you definitely use that time wisely. So let's pivot a little bit over to when we talk about customer amazement, customer loyalty. Um, I know those are really important, especially for all of the brands that you talk with and you work with and in every person. But you, you always talk about when you're going to make a business decision to continue doing business with somebody and you talk about it's about the next time. Every yeah. time. Okay? Every time. That's what leads to a lifetime. So we always, you know, talking about lifetime value. We're talking about all of the different metrics to see whether or not someone is going to purchase from us again or uh, they're loyal to us. So in your experience, how did that become part of what you do on a regular basis? How did that piece become where you're teaching people saying, this is where it's at. It's this time, sure. next time, and every time. Yeah, so there's a lot of questions there, but let me let me take them one at a time. Uh, there's the concept of amazement. How do you amaze a customer? It's not about being over the top and delivering this uh, wow level of service. 
One of my favorite people to study and research is Tom Peters, wrote the book In Search of Excellence, which was an important driver of what I did back in the 80s. Uh, also started talking about wow. And when I realized it's impossible to be over the top all of the time. Mm-hmm. But what you can do and what will make customers say, wow, or you're amazing, is if you're consistently and predictably a little better than average. And so I was constantly preaching, don't ever drop to mediocrity. Don't ever drop to you know, just simply being okay. Always focus on a little better than average. What does that look like? Well, if you're in the restaurant business, the moment you walk in, you're greeted by a server who smiles at you and everybody you interact with smiles, says hello, uh, asks, can I get you anything? You know, it's not much. It, that's not the technical side of service. That's not even actually taking an order and serving. It's just being hospitable. A little, you know, when, when you go into the Ritz-Carlton, one of the things they train everybody to do is smile and say good morning or good afternoon to everybody you... That's what I'm talking about. That's not over the top. But after a while, you say, wow, they, they're always so friendly here. You know, the word always followed by something positive. They always get back to me quickly. They're always knowledgeable and get me the answers I need. Even when there's a problem, I know I can always count on them. So when you have that word always followed by something positive, you're operating at that zone of amazement. How many times does a call have to drop? How many times do customers have to complain about noise? With Nobel Biz Omni Plus, your work from home concerns are a thing of the past. Why worry about noise during calls when you can just send a text? WhatsApp traffic tripled during the pandemic, so why aren't you on there? Nobel Biz Omni Plus offers a seamless experience custom tailored for the at-home call center. With all the social media integrations, plus the traditional ones like voice, email, video, SMS in a single platform. Go to nobelbiz.com to find out more. What happens if an agent can't take calls because they have little ones? Simple, you can just reassign that agent to handle only text-based conversations. OmniPlus allows you to do that. So once again, go to nobelbiz.com to check it out. That's N-O-B-E-L-B-I-Z.com. So Horst Schultz, speaking of the Ritz-Carlton, I love sharing stories about him and the Ritz, but I actually interviewed him a couple of times and he said, I asked him, how do you become like one of the most recognized hospitable, luxury, customer-focused brands in the world. He says, just be a little better than average all the time. I go, oh, you're, you're singing my song. I go, how much better than average do you think you have to be? And he, he said, 10% better. <laughs> and I go, okay. So on a scale of one to five, if three is average, 3.3 or better is all you have to do. And so I started looking and researching and talking to people. And you know, if you're always a 3.3 or better, Do you know what score you get on a rating of one to five? You usually get a five because you're never average. And 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 by the way, I'm not talking about if there's a mistake and there's a a complaint, because if you handle the complaint the right way, you stay at that five. Uh, But that that was just a a real important piece for me. So I've been preaching that for many, many years. Uh, You asked me about 
the, lo- the loyalty and the lifetime customer. We want to know what our lifetime average value of a customer is because we're allowed by having that information to make good customer-focused decisions. We know if our average customer is going to spend this much over the lifetime, we can afford to invest this much into innovation, experience, whatever it is. So even if a customer doesn't spend that much in their lifetime, it's not about that particular customer. It's the overall broad, every customer on average. So I, I, I talk about the loyalty question. Repeat business is not customer loyalty. Repeat business is an indication of willingness to do business with you again for a number of reasons, none of which might be the emotional connection that creates loyalty. But you can ask yourself a question. Is what I'm doing right now, the way I'm behaving, the way I'm taking care of the customer, the way we're delivering our service, whatever you want to do, is what I'm doing right now going to be what it takes to get that customer to come back to me next time they need whatever it is that I buy? So recognize I'm in a confrontation right now or a conflict. The customer's upset. My next move could indicate whether or not I'm going to win that customer back or they're going to go to the competitor. Or maybe it's status quo. Things are going along just fine. Am I saying thank you? Am I doing something like even as simple as in a retail environment, coming around the counter and carrying the bag of merchandise to the front door and thanking the customers they walk out the door? That gesture uh, and those actions somehow or another psychologically implant some emotional connection with the customer. They, they think, wow, this person's really friendly. Mm-hmm. And friendly is, is an emotional connection. Trust is an emotional connection. So when this is consistent and predictable, and every time you're focusing on the next time, every time, you ultimately can get to a lifetime of loyalty. That's, that's what that's about. Which is huge. And we think about all these touch points and we talk about the journey that uh, a customer can have, right, with your brand. There's the customer service part. And then you talk about all the other times, right? But when we look at that, for our audience, we have a lot of people in the contact center, call center space, right? For some, that is all they do. That's the only way a customer can interact with your business. And others, it's just this one part within that interaction. So of all of the things that you do, would you say that all of these areas are applicable in the contact center space that you can- 100%, yeah. There's, um, so you've got to train your people to focus on that customer at that moment, recognize the lifetime value. Uh, our job is to make sure in the call centers, contact center, whether you're supporting them via phone, email, text, our job is to make sure that customer comes back the next time. That's what we're really supposed We're not just problem solvers. We don't just answer a question or fix a complaint. We ensure the customer comes back. And when you can get the mindset of that's what I'm here to do and, and the support agent, it's like, you know, it's not game over. We win. It's, you know, that's the start of the opportunity. Now you've got to give them the right tools. You've got to train them properly. Uh, ideally, the technology works and it's convenient to both the customer and the agent to use. Uh, you've got to uh, make sure that support agent uh, recognizes, uh, depending on the metrics, what they're ultimately supposed to do. It frustrates me. I know you earlier in our conversation, you you used the you know acronym NPS, Net Promoter Score. It just flew by in the conversation. But 
NPS is great. I think it measures likelihood of willing to do business with you again, whether they do or they don't, or likelihood to recommend. By the way, the likelihood to recommend, if they're willing to recommend you at a high level, they're probably willing to do business with you again, which is why I love NPS. Uh, but we also look at a metric like average handle time. And if you say we're going to give you, uh, we're going to penalize you in your, you know, in your evaluations if you stay on the phone too long. I'm thinking, if you stay on too long for the wrong reasons, I get it. But if the right reason is to eliminate the customer having to call back again for a problem, stay on the phone for another minute or two. Okay, if you can spot. So here's the beautiful thing: um, if you have a, depending upon the type of business you are, you may have a large customer base, and if you're using AI. For a number of different ways, it can be a chat bot. But what if you're using AI instead of supporting the customer? You're using artificial intelligence to support the agent. Mm -hmm. And then the AI can uh, help you give a better answer to the customer because it can analyze different scenarios. The best AI can listen in on the conversation without you having to type a question and give you the answer. But imagine if the artificial intelligence can recognize your customer's buying patterns that matches up uh, and 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 service patterns that matches up with a thousand other customers, okay? And you say, wow, the AI says, this customer is just like a thousand others. This is the next question they're going to ask you. This is the next product they're going to need. Take the time to give them the answer, even if they don't ask the question because they need the answer. Suggest this product, which is now an ethical upsell, you know, because they're gonna need this, they're gonna call back. And if I can keep you from having to call back, the cost of having you call back and starting over is far more expensive than me spending an extra few minutes on the phone with you. So again, a long-winded answer to hopefully get you where you wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean- It's look, like, wind me up and I'm going to just start going. I'm like the well, uh, well, Everready Energizer bunny. <laughs> well, it's a wealth of knowledge. And then obviously when it comes to all the detail, that's really what a lot of our audience is looking for, right? They have a daily routine where they're, constantly doing what they do right and to find the time in the day to be able to just listen to a podcast or even watch it it, it means they've set aside something that they want to gain a value from it right and every one of us that wants to learn these are one of those areas and so for those that have a customer service department and then say okay i'm going to blow this thing up and rebuild it from ground up or i'm building this from scratch are there some key things that you think you would have to have or you must have in the customer service department to do it right Right. Well, the first thing is, is don't let technology get in the way of a human human relationship. You can't automate a relationship. Now, if you're in the type of business, there's very few businesses that can get away with this, where everything's digital and automated, but self-service needs a human backup. So I would say, okay, um, if I'm going to be starting from scratch, uh, number one, I would want to know what are my most common so where are we starting from scratch? Are we starting like the company's never sold an item before? Or are we starting with, you know what? I think we're big enough now that we need to have a support center. Uh, yeah, let's go with that one. That one. Okay, works. good. Because I think starting from scratch at the very beginning is kind of a weird. Oh, I'll, I'll <laughs> go there. Okay. Small business starts from scratch. What do you do? You let everybody take a shift as a customer service rep. Okay. And that means two hours a week, two hours a day, whatever, but everybody gets to play the role because you want, I believe customer service is cultural. It's part of a philosophy. It's not just a department. It, you can call it a department if you want, but that's because that's what you call it. It's not really what it's meant to be. Everybody's involved. 
So we want everybody to do that. But let's say we're getting to a point where we need to build out. Number one, we sit down with the team. We go, what are you hearing? What are the biggest complaints that you hear? That's the first thing. We want to know why they're happening again and again. It's time to start to mitigate or eliminate them. So that's a team effort. Now, how are we going to answer them? Are we getting so many calls? Is there a way that we can direct them to a video tutorial? Is there a way that we might be able to answer these on a frequently asked question basis? So we're going to look at some self-service options to couple with our, our uh, interaction, people to people, human to human. And when we get somebody who's talking to us, uh, for example, I just bought a new, I know uh, you can see the guitars behind me. If you go home, I've got guitars everywhere. But I bought this recording software and I really am struggling on how to use it. So I, I, it's really interesting. Three days, I get an automated email from this company that says, and I know it's automated, even though it doesn't appear to be so. I just know it is. But it said, hey, we want to make sure you're happy. Um, do you have any questions? Is there anything we can do to support you? And I said, as a matter of fact, there is. I can't figure out how to import the music. And then actually, I can't even figure out how to play music so I can hear it through my speakers. What am I doing wrong? And at that point, a human agent responded within literally uh, less than an hour, okay, said, uh, here's three links to some videos. If that doesn't work and you can't get your problem resolved, let me know and I may jump on the phone to walk you through. And I thought, wow, they trained me to go use videos that are on their site. And by the way, the next time I have a question, do you know where I'm going to go first? I'm not going to go calling their, their support number. I'm going to go to the video page and see what videos are there that I can learn from. So we want to put these pieces in place. By the way, video tutorials and frequently asked questions cost like, it's not like you're implementing a ton of technology. Now, let's get a little bit more sophisticated. We need a good, good relationship management, CRM type of program. And I want to be able to give my agents, if we start to build out a support center, I want to give my agents a piece of software that can handle everything in one place. So they're not switching from one program to the next. And if, they, if we do use separate programs, make sure they integrate as if they're one. And... Uh, and really, that's where it starts. And we can go on and on and building this thing out. But uh, we want everybody, uh, as, as we start to become aware of people talking to us via social channels, we need to make sure we're always monitoring those social channels and responding to every single uh, comment. If it's nothing more than a thank you for a positive compliment, that's at least a response. But if somebody has an issue or a complaint, you need to resolve it or at least start the resolution process, which means, by the way, going from social to handling it behind the scenes, either with direct messages or on the phone, and then going back because people can watch and see what's going on. That's why they call it social media, not private behind the scenes media. Well, talking about social media, you've been talking about using Twitter and customer support yeah. for at least four years, right? Four years? Many more, I think even more than that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so with that said, what's what's made it all of a sudden become more popular? I, have you seen anything around adoption or? What yeah, well, that's a great word, adoption. So let's talk about. I think social media in general, just not Twitter, but I think it's probably five or six years ago we started to see the trend. As uh, even I could tell you, probably at least four years ago, if not sooner, Twitter came out with a manual on how to use. Uh, how a company can 
you know, create the social presence on Twitter that gets customers to interact with them as one of their customer service channels. Okay, so it's been happening since before that. But what happened with the pandemic in all customer support, you know, that world and that we're living in, is it forced us to adopt existing technology at a level that would be three to five years into the future. So, you know, the companies that all of a sudden are getting onto Twitter, they would have eventually been there. And I can't believe they weren't there already. But hey, they're there now because uh, we we hit this brick wall on the way we've always done things and we're forced to use existing technology. I, I don't think in the last six months there's been anything brand new that's come out, but it's just people adopting what's there so it appears to be new. Yeah, I think there's been a massive wave of adopting things that people either didn't even think about doing soon or at all. Uh, obviously, yep. working from home, uh, especially in our space in the call center and contact center arena, uh, being able to shift people from physical locations to remote areas and then all the fun stuff that has to do with making that work and making the technology work and everything uh, working properly. Um, I can imagine that the impression those first impressions after the pandemic started and people needed to start making calls into these uh, places and the experience was different. I think some businesses did a great job of that pivot yep. and some didn't do so well. Some brands that I love doing business with did a stellar job and some I was really disappointed in what they did. So when we talk about friction, right, and convenience, especially things where you've mentioned that reducing that friction, making it more convenient is going to make it more likely for people to want to buy or do business with you. So right now in a pandemic, what do you see that businesses should do or that you're telling people to do uh, to reduce that friction and make it more convenient to business with them? Sure. Well, I mean, I wrote the book, The Convenience Revolution, two years ago, and what, what I felt was if you want to raise your level, I mean, it table stakes, customer service, you have to have it. You have to have a good customer experience, That's which is even more than just the service. But uh, you have a product that does what it's supposed to do. And that was really what you needed for years to be seen as a cut above the rest. And then I started looking at all the companies that I enjoy writing about. And I said, you know, I think the reason is they're just easier to do business with. Think about Amazon. By the way, I, I had a great interview where I interviewed somebody the other day and he said, you know, I hate Amazon. And, and he said it facetiously. He said, actually, I love Amazon, but as a businessman, I have to say, man, they're making it hard on me because they've created this expectation for their customers that is now bleeding over into every other industry. Why can't you be as good as Amazon? Amazon can do it. Why can't you do it, right? So I know I'm, I'm getting off the, the original question here, but let me see if I can go there. Back to convenience. So two years ago, I write this book based on the idea that convenience will take service to a whole nother level and the experience to a whole nother level. Though the week the book comes out, J.D. Powers writes his massive article about how convenience is the new currency of business. And I thought, oh, perfect timing, you know, and I started seeing this prop up. Let me give you a great example that I think will sum up what's happened pre and post pandemic. Um, I guess it's uh uh, my my fifth convenience principle is delivery, taking it to the customer, okay? 
my car dealership that I chose to do business with after I, I was doing business with one dealership for 25 years and I switched to this other dealership because the dealer said, when you buy a car from me, by the way, I wasn't going to buy from him because he's 10 miles away and the other dealership is like a half a mile away. I can drop my car off and walk to work. Uh, but the other dealership, if it's seven in the morning, I take my car and it takes me because of traffic 30, 40 minutes, then I got to come back. Then I go back and pick it up. I'm, I'm killing two to three hours out of my day, right? So I said, no, I'm going to go with the convenient dealer. And the guy said, hold on a second. You buy a car from us. When your car comes in, I'll bring it to you. And when you need service, I'll bring you a loaner and pick up your car. You never have to come in here again. Even if you want us to bring you the next car you're going to buy, you don't have to come in unless you want to check a bunch of them out. I thought, wow, that's convenient. I end up doing business with them. Well, guess what? As soon as the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, all these, and by the way, that was really, I would go back to my dealership. That was not typical of what dealers will do for you. But this dealership said, that's our one of the things we do. We differentiate that way. Now, all these automotive manufacturers, and I'm not talking about Mercedes and Audi and BMW, all the higher ends. I'm talking about, you know, Chevy and, you know, uh, Chrysler, all these, uh, even the mid-level and even in some cases lower level, they said, hey, you want to test drive a car? We'll come to you and let you test drive it. That's delivery. It took the pandemic to get everybody else to get on the idea that convenience is important. We've been having groceries delivered for years, but now this is standard. If you don't have grocery delivery as part of your mix at your grocery store, you may be losing a lot of business. Mm -hmm. So it's table stakes. So convenience has become really important. By the way, my next book is going to go back to some basics because I believe that we can't forget that the main reason we're doing all of this is for one simple thing that we've already talked about, and that is to get the customer to come back next time. So we got to get back to the idea that we want that customer to say, hey, I'll be back. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And we're looking forward to seeing that come out. Have you ever dreamed of perfect calls? Do you ever wonder how much time you'd save? How awesome would it be if you had only uninterrupted calls? Thankfully, these dreams are real. If you're a call center, we can do that for you. The Noble Biz Carrier of Carriers Network assures uninterrupted calls through a worldwide series of servers designed for one purpose and one purpose only, to deliver crystal clear quality. But how do we know we're so good? It's because we're a true carrier. We control the quality, the network, and the servers. And we said, let's give it all we've got. Go to noblebiz.com and search for world-class voice under technology. Once again, that's N-O-B-E-L-B-I-Z.com and look for world-class voice. And obviously, when we're talking about the call center space and we talk about the pandemic and we talk about uh, convenience. Obviously, you are interacting via phone or email or social media, but anything in particular when it comes to what you're seeing in the call center space, this idea of working remote, the idea of being able to still provide this customer service and all the touch points through their customer experience journey, anything in particular that you're seeing or recommending to companies where that's the department of the business, that's the focus of that area where you have to connect with, that should take into account now to be more convenient or to reduce friction. I know IVR is a big space where people have a lot of friction 
Yeah. Um, but other areas, chatbots, anything that you see that's coming in to be able to relieve some of that friction, especially now during the time of sure. being remote. The simplest of simple ideas has been around for a while and some com- companies just executed it better than others. And that is have the real quick, simple, seamless connection to a human being when there's a problem. And be omni-channel versus multi-channel, which is what most companies are. They confuse the two. And uh, in case there's people uh, listening and watching this, uh, multi-channel means there's multiple ways to connect with your company. You can pick up the phone and call them. You can email, you can text, you can chat, you can go on an app. Uh, But when they switch to a different method of communicating, it should be seamless and it should pick up where the last interaction left off. So that multi-channel moving to omni-channel, omni-channel allows you to move seamlessly between channels. Uh, If you are having an issue and you're trying to do it yourself, and I'll give you, you know, Zappos, who happens to be owned by Amazon now. But even before that, the phone number to the support center was on every single page of an online retail business. And I can't remember what the percentage is, but it was a fairly, um, I, I think it was, maybe less than 20%, but still uh, for a company that's known as an online retailer to have that many phone calls, that's pretty high. But Tony Shea, who is the CEO and still is, um, has been saying over and over again, we need to make sure a customer is comfortable. When you do that level of experience, you don't have to worry about price. Tony Shea said, we don't need to be the lowest price, competitively priced perhaps, but don't need to be known for the lowest price because we're going to give people the best comfort in doing business with us. Not comfortable shoes, but the comfort and the experience. I know I'm going to, uh, if I don't know, does this shoe run large or small? Hey, let me send you three sizes. The size you think you are, the half size below and the half size above. And by the way, you return the other two, no charge for the shipping. Really? How can I argue with that? (laughs) That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. And I think a lot of that is empowering the agents and yes. the representatives, because I think a lot of times it's almost like when you call and to a business, unfortunately for many businesses, it feels like you have to justify why you feel that you're going to get serviced or taken care of versus knowing the moment you get to this first person that either they are empowered to be able to take care of you uh, or they're going to get you the right place versus it feeling like maybe that first person is an obstacle and always is that obstacle, which is obviously setting up that conversation to be negative from the get-go that you're Mm -hmm. already going to have to deal, not interact, but deal with the representative you're going to interact with. Most people come to the uh, support center with that attitude because people say, you know, almost every company is that way. No, not every company is bad or not almost every company is bad. There's plenty of good ones. It's just like the squeaky wheel gets the oil and you remember the pain you go through. You know, I go to my dentist and I haven't had a cavity in years, but the reason I hate going to the dentist is because of that one darn cavity I had 10 years ago. And I'll never forget getting that shot and the, you know, hearing the drill and I hate the dentist, but I shouldn't. The dentist actually, when I go there, I get my teeth clean and it smells good and it feels good. And that's the way it should be. But, you know, that's why people remember that one incident that throws everything else out of out of whack. Um, so I want people to realize there's plenty of great companies out there that are doing it right. You know what? Given the benefit of the doubt until they prove you wrong, 
and then asked to be transferred to the manager. <laughs> well, it sounds like first impressions lasted uh, with you in, in case that, that Dennis. If you can't get enough of Christian's voice and want more of that awesome mellow tone, go to nobelbiz.com and click on webinars. How have these challenging times impacted you? Is remote work difficult for your call center? How can you make sure your agents are actually working? We have the answers to these questions, plus actionable tips on how to get your contact center up to speed. Once again, go to nobelbiz.com slash webinar dash series to find all our recordings. That's N-O-B-E-L-B-I-Z.com and click on the webinars button. Going back to chatbots, I know that's been a big thing everyone's talking about for some time now. Um, do you think that they're ready for prime time? you think they're used in the right way today? Or do you think they some chatbots are really good? So you have to recognize, by the way, even lower level chatbots, uh, the, the chatbot right now is good for the easy question. Where's my package? Did it ship? Um, what's my bank balance? Did you receive my check? Those are easy questions. But again, I'm going to say what I said before. Have an easy fallback. You need to just simply, so uh, assuming you don't have a sophisticated chatbot, if at any time you say, I want to talk to an agent, it should seamlessly transfer you to an agent or let the agent pick up where the chat, you know, instead, because the bots, you know, I'm going to transfer you to George who can help you or Christian, you know, whatever. You get the idea. Um, that's great. There's some bots out there that will recognize that this Customers confused and will automatically do it for me. Um, so I think they're getting better and better. And here's what's amazing is even a few years ago, I was being called by companies who said, let us create a chat bot for you. And I go, well, here's what happens. People come to me and say, uh, are you available for this date to come and speak at our event? And I said, I want to be able to talk to them about what they want and all that. Well, we'll, do, we'll, create the, we'll create the sequence of questions. And I thought, nah, it needs to be more personal. And somebody actually created the script for me. And the way the bot worked is you don't have to go through the script in order. You know, it becomes very, this, the, the bot knows what the customer is asking. And it's very intuitive uh, mm -hmm. as to that. And still, um, I was amazed at how inexpensive it was. It was like less than $100 a month to have that technology. You just had to be able to set it up the right way. Well, it's sounds pretty. if used properly, yeah. it's yeah, definitely if used convenient properly. <laughs> and yeah. it definitely can reduce friction. But if it's done improperly, it's out Oh my gosh, it's a mess. And, friction. Right. And and I just read a great stat yesterday. Um, I was talking to some folks at Simpler AI, Simpler.ai. Um, and I can't remember the exact stat, but it's like, it's not so much about uh, whether or not there was a problem. Uh so, so many times we talk about the percentage of people that will leave you because of bad customer service, mm. but it's not that one bad thing that happened. It was the, I wish I had it in front of me now. I, I, it was a great stat. It's like 28% said it was more about what happened after uh, it was handled or how it was handled. It's like, you know, the promise to get back that didn't take place, the, the lack of response or the slow response. That's what was the problem, not the issue of the complaint. It started. Was it 68%? No, no. Well, um, no, this had to do with the follow-up. Our stats, right. I mean, I've got in my customer 
Um, here it is right here. It's called the ACA survey, the 2020 ACA survey, achieving customer amazement. And we found that 96% of customers leave you for bad service. Are, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it's, they're either extremely willing or somewhat willing to do so. Only 3.8% said, you know what? I don't care about the service, which I go, poor people. Um, <laughs> sorry for them. 62% are willing to pay more for customer service if it's done the right way. In other words, you don't have to be as competitively priced. You need to be competitive, but you don't have to be low, low priced. And uh, what we found is that 62% of customers pay a little bit more for good customer service. But if you throw in delivery as part of that convenience, by the way, 67% say convenience will get them to pay more but almost 90% will pay more if delivery is involved in that convenience. So there's all types of, of, of ways to look at that. I would say uh, a support center that has the word always in front of knowledgeable people, friendly people, gets back to me quickly, follows through, always follows through on their promises. That means that even when there's a problem, the customer's always feeling like they're being taken care of. Well, on that note, um, I, I think what we can do is definitely say we got some great information on that piece, some great insight and experience. But I have to know what's your secret. You got all this energy. You got all this piece going on with um, uh, the humor and the entertainment and the knowledge. I mean, tell me you're not just chugging coffee all day. I, you know what? I You won't believe this. I've had three cups of coffee my entire life. Okay. And they came in the last two or three weeks because a buddy of mine said, I bet I make a cup of coffee that you like. I said, I don't even like coffee ice cream. I don't like the taste of coffee. So he brings this coffee to me and it's half coffee and half cream with like four big spoonfuls of honey. And I could taste the coffee, but the sugar and the sweetness was doing it for me. I never talked so much in my entire life as I did that day. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you right now, I I don't drink caffeine for the same reason. People already tell me I talk enough. Yeah, I know. I don't need that jolt. But what I do is I I recognize my strengths. Um, I know myself. And I know in bed by 10 the day before I'm speaking, no matter what, you're going to get up early tomorrow. Make sure you're in bed by 10. Good night's sleep, really important. You know, I keep myself in good shape. I'm on the road. I eat the right way. Uh, I'm not super skinny, but I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty healthy. And I think that's the secret. Plus, I love life. And uh, you can see I've got guitars behind me. I I play sports. Uh, I do magic tricks. I don't get bored, you know. I love to ride bikes. I play golf. I play tennis. And my family's in, unbelievable. You know, I'm a lucky dude. Well, that's awesome. And considering that that luckiness that you have, obviously the pandemic has to impact you and your business, your family in some way or another. Yeah, obviously huge. You're not traveling and speaking uh, like you were. So any one thing that you could share with the audience of how you've had to make a pivot or modify what you were doing to be able to continue running your business or even at home? Yeah. So my job was to go in front of audiences and speak, you know, go to a conference. There's 500, 1,000, 5,000 people. Well, that's not happening again anytime soon. So I watched what everybody was doing. And you use the word pivot. And I was using the word pivot for the longest time until I realized when you pivot, you turn your back on something. I don't think you can afford to turn your back on anything right now. So I think the better word is, is demonstrate incredible flexibility. And that means flexibility of willingness to try new things. 
So I've been doing virtual presentations, interviews like this, fireside chats for many years. I would do, I would be paid for probably 15 a year over the last few years. Well, now I'm paid for 10 to 15 a month. <laughs> and so uh, I've, you know, said, hey, my business model needs to uh, have some elasticity or flexibility and willingness to say, hey, this part of my business isn't working right now. I'm not going to be on a stage in front of a thousand people in a conference room real soon. So what can I do? I called clients up. Matter of fact, I've, I've got a, an email getting, I was preparing before we started to a client that actually hired me to speak. I think it was in April of this year, obviously canceled. She hasn't uh, said she wants me, they, they haven't decided if they're going to do April next year. So uh, we had just sent the contract to them. So there was no deposit or anything. And here's what I'm going to tell her in the email. Uh, I don't know what's going on in your business other than what I can read. I'd love to talk to you about it. And not only that, I'd love to do a virtual presentation. No charge with, by the way, no obligation to even hire me for next April or the following April or whenever you do it. But I know that I want to maintain great relationships with all clients. And right now in a time of craziness, this is the best time to demonstrate my value to you. And it's not about the money. Down the road, it will be. But today it's about taking care of people. Well, so that's the attitude we have to have today. I couldn't agree with you more. And on that note, obviously for us, we're out of time and we were really excited to have you. And guess what? This is a wrap for season one of First Contact Stories of the Call I'm the Center. finale of season yeah. one. Yeah, the, you are. You know, they hire me to be the last speaker <laughs> on a lot of programs. This is great. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, thank you. We ended it with a bang. And, uh, you know, obviously for next season, we'd love to hear from everybody on what you would think would be a great thing to talk about or who to have on. So from you, Shep, anything in particular you think would be a great topic or things that would be for a great episode for season? Sure. I mean, there's so many things. We we, we did a very general presentation uh, or general questions today about everything from my life to, you know, and it was fun. I will tell you that uh, you want to go deeper. I think one of the big areas I'm asked about a lot is surveys. How do we do a, a survey the right way? How do we make sure it gets answered? What do we do with that information? Are we doing what we need to be doing with the information? That's a good topic. Uh, if you really want to go deeper into the whole concept of AI and the best way to utilize it and the problems and pit, pitfalls it has, I think that's real hot right now. Um, how do you train somebody? How do you hire and train somebody for the support center? Big topic. Um, the, the E word, empathy, I think is going to be one of the big words for next year. Um, I actually, I'm writing an article right now. Um, I don't know what I, if it's going to be a strong enough article to put in Forbes, but I might use it on my, my regular weekly article series. Um, it's, uh, and today, or what's the, and the winner is in today's, uh, or this year's business word of the year. The winner is, is it empathy? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm going to probably do a little poll and find out, but there's empathy. Is it pivot? Is it, you know, different words that we're using. Um, so I'm looking forward to writing that. I know. I think empathy would be a good topic. So there you go. Well, again, long answer. I'm sorry. That's, that's all great stuff. And I'll tell you right now, one of the things that I will want to talk about is the next question. When you talk about the, the other question, the extra question, yep. the next question, I think was also really great as well. So uh, obviously for our audience, if you've got any suggestions for season two, you can email them at info at noblebiz.com with names, topics, things to cover. So again, that's info at nobelbiz.com. So Shep, 
Thanks so much for coming out. How do people find you? Obviously, there's a lot of places, but where do you want everybody to find you? Just go to hyken.com, H-Y-K-E-N. You'll learn all about me. And uh, yeah, I've got a YouTube channel. You can put my name in there. Go to shep.tv. Uh, that's pretty easy. And uh, just you know, find me everywhere. I'm on all of the social media channels. Kind of hard to miss me. Yeah, absolutely. So many options and a lot of great content. So obviously, this has been a great season. So thrilled to have so many top professionals, especially like yourself, Chef. So um, we'll be back in months. Hopefully, in the meantime, if uh, you have any space to listen to what we've had, we got some great stuff and obviously might have some little surprises coming out. So talk to everybody soon. Have a good one. Stay safe. If you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel for exclusive clips. Like us, rate us, review us. If you want to hear more on our take on coronavirus, remote work, and contact centers, go to NobelBiz.com and click on webinars to see our recorded on-demand webinars. Thanks for listening to First Contact Stories of the Call Center. My name is Christian Montez, and we'll be back soon with our next episode. This podcast has been hosted by me, Christian Montez, produced, written, and edited by Bogdan Minutes, with co-executive producers Steve Biederman, Christian Montez, and Bogdan Minutes.